0: Good morning. Good morning, as always, it's a wonderful privilege to be here with you this morning. Um, Phil, what excellent uh, choices of songs this morning. I can't imagine a, a better way to repair our hearts uh, for the message that we'll be looking at this morning. I, I almost don't even need to preach anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, take your copy of God's Word um, and turn to uh, Galatians 6. And we'll be looking at verses 14 through 15. <clears throat> Galatians, 14, Galatians 6, 14 through 15. Uh, but, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Bow with me. Dear Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, uh, to a wonderful passage about what you have done for us in the gospel, about what you have accomplished on our behalf and how we should feel about that. Lord, who is, who is adequate for these things? Lord, we are so humbled and amazed what you have done for us. And Lord, we just plead uh, that as we are inadequate, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us through your word this morning. Uh, we pray that you would give us listening ears, uh, soft hearts, that we might be sanctified Uh, through your perfect, revealed, authoritative, sufficient word uh, that tells us what we should believe and how we should live. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so I I have entitled uh, this message Two Truths uh, for Gospel-Centered Living. And so a a disclaimer uh, in the beginning. Uh, We live in a time where everything is gospel-centered. Everybody wants to say uh, that their, their church their movement, what they care about, is gospel-centered. Uh, so, so what does this mean? It's, it's an incredibly popular buzzword uh, right now in evangelicalism. Uh, if you go on any church website, uh, which is a, probably not a, a good hobby of mine, but a hobby of mine. I love to go to church websites and read their what they believe and read their pastor bios. and Every church says that they're gospel-centered. A lot of times it doesn't take long reading through their statement of faith, if they have one, to realize that they have no idea what that means. Uh, You read further down you realize they they don't even know what what doctrine is, but they say that they're gospel-centered. So as we go into a a message, a passage about what it means to be gospel-centered, we need to uh, reorient our thinking and, and our values. We need to get rid of our presuppositions. Uh, and allow ourselves to be shepherded by the word of how God says, "Oh, we need to be gospel centered uh you know there that's the the problem that we have uh, before you start thinking that I'm saying it's bad to be gospel centered or want to be gospel centered um, we we need to be gospel centered uh if if our hearts you know to put it frankly if our hearts are not gospel centered then we're not Christians. God, God calls us to be gospel-centered, but, but what does that mean? Um, unfortunately, because of its, its popularity and because of its current trendiness, uh, there's a danger of nobody remembering what it actually means to be gospel-centered. Uh, if, if everything is gospel-centered, then nothing is. Uh, so we, we need to break away from our cultural baggage that's become attached to this, this phrase, this wonderful phrase, Um, And we need to look at how the Bible defines a a gospel-centered life. Uh, We need to let Scripture reorient our thinking and override our definitions. um, Because, uh, beloved, that's what it means to be biblical, right? To have our thinking, to have our hearts aligned with Scripture's definitions and aligned with what Scripture says. So uh, before we get into chapter 6, let's just take a look um, at the the book as a whole um, so we have the, the context so Paul wrote the book of Galatians uh, to, to the churches in Galatia because they were in danger of abandoning the gospel. Right? They were being tempted uh, to, to go back to, to legalism, go back to the Old Covenant, to go back to circumcision as a way to try and be right with God, um, and then adding that on to the work of Christ. And so as Paul works through this book, uh, he first validates that the gospel... Uh, is from God and not from man. The gospel that he preaches is from God and not from man. Uh, He then validates himself as a messenger because uh, often the tactic of those who would attack uh, the church and attack the gospel uh, was to attack Paul, to say that he was a false apostle, that he wasn't really from God. And so Paul then works through a a short biography of his testimony um, and the fact that he was endorsed by the other apostles uh, that his message was the message from god Uh, paul then rebukes strongly the galatians for turning away from the gospel that they heard from him Uh, galatians is the the only epistle from paul where he does not offer thanksgiving for them he does not encourage them he does not say how grateful he is for them okay so, so stop and think about that for a second the church in corinth which was riddled with sin, which was riddled with carnality, which had so many problems. Paul gives such a beautiful description of his thankfulness for them, gives such a strong encouragement for them before he gets into why he's writing the epistle. Here, Paul gives no Thanksgiving. Oh, foolish Galatians. How important do you think this is? If this here? is the only thing that would cause Paul to not say that he is grateful for them, that he is encouraged by what they are doing. So throughout this letter, uh, Paul defines and defends salvation by faith against this false gospel of works blended with faith that the, Galetian, uh, that the Galatians are buying into. So that, that's what he uh, wants them walking away with. That's what he wants to be ringing in their ears. So when I say two truths for gospel-centered living, what I don't mean is here is, is a two-item checklist so that when you go to bed at night, you can say, okay, I, w- I was gospel-centered today. I did this thing, I did this thing. Now I'm gospel-centered. Um, we're trying to break away from these, these cultural definitions of what gospel-centered is and get back to the Bible. So what, what I do mean when I say that we have two examples from Paul, two truths for gospel-centered living, is that we have two truths from Paul that can absolutely, for how the the gospel can absolutely define your life. Uh, We have two examples from Paul of how you can be completely overcome by the gospel so there isn't anything of you left anymore. Uh, We have two examples from Paul of how in Christ you get to have your entire existence redefined and made into something entirely new. And now your life gets to be all about that, and so by definition, it's gospel-centered. Okay, that's, that's what we want to accomplish this morning, is what does Paul say it takes to have all of us stripped away and be gospel-centered in a way that causes our life, okay, the, the nucleus of our life, to revolve around Christ and the gospel, to revolve around Jesus and what he did for us. That's what we want. But we want there to be nothing in us that's about us, we want our entire existence to just be a manifestation of what Christ has done on our behalf. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Okay, so the first, the first truth for a gospel-centered life is gospel-centered humility. So when I, when I say humility, what I mean is that you have abandoned all hope in yourself and any desire to be noticed. You know, look at what Paul says. He says, far be it from me, to boast okay so the structure of this phrase is very similar the 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 grammar of this phrase is very similar to when Paul says may it never be uh, it's one of the strongest negations that he could have used in Greek in other words the idea of boasting to Paul is disgusting okay he's not just saying I'm not gonna boast he's saying I, I'm abhorred by the idea that I would boast It's not supposed to be my notes right there. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Okay. We're back. So if you notice in in verse 14, he starts off with the word but. Okay, so we're we're starting off this passage uh, with a, a contrast Okay. He says, as for me, I will you know I will never boast. So what, what is he doing here? What is this but? It's because he's contrasting the way he believes, the way he lives, with those who are theologically assaulting the churches in Galatia. Okay, so for them, they're trying to get some street cred with the Jews. Okay, they think if they can take a little bit of what the Jews want and take a little bit of Christ and mix it together and force everyone to look like that, then they can still claim Christ and not lose their popularity with the Jews, not be persecuted by the Jews. And so Paul says that they're doing this so that they can, that they can boast. Okay, they they want to have something in themselves that they can look at and say, this is what we accomplished, this is what we have done. And so Paul is saying, in contrast to that, in contrast to these these ones who are distorting the truth, may I never boast. He understands that before God, our earthly accomplishments mean nothing. And more than that, he, he understands that we deserve nothing. When we seek glory for ourselves, we fight against the gospel. That we profess to believe okay when we when we take the gospel and then we say i'm going to give lip service to this, but I want everyone to see my accomplishments, I want everyone to see what I have done, I want everyone to think that i'm great uh, that that's not a small thing in the eyes of God uh, that's why Paul uh, attacks us so vehemently he understands that goes against the very foundation of what it means to believe in the gospel. Uh, something else to notice here is that in what these others were doing, they were ashamed of the cross. They wanted to be thought of highly by the Jews, and so instead of rejecting all forms of manufactured, man-made righteousness, they sought to profess Christ on one side and still pacify the Jews on the other. They, they wanted to profess Christ but be able to make it appear as though following Christ and following in the world's thinking uh, was essentially the same thing, right? To be able to look at the Jews and say, uh, we're, we're really not that different. We believe mostly the same thing. We believe it a little differently, but we trust in the same things as you. We're on the same side. Does that sound like a familiar conversation to you guys? You know what, the gospel, it really, at its core, it's not that different from what you believe and from what you believe. We're, We're all in this together. Oh, foolish Galatians. If we make something that smells sweet to the world, it is putrid to God. A gospel that is palatable to the world is a gospel that can't save anybody. So, so notice, as, as Paul works through this, what he says, he, he will boast in nothing except, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this kind of thinking, uh, this, this verbiage, is nothing new for Paul. Uh, listen to the words of 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, Okay, so this is very consistent with Paul's ministry and Paul's testimony. He wants believers to think highly of one thing, the gospel. He does not want people to walk away thinking, man, Paul just nailed it. He is so smart. He is so good at Greek. Well, I mean, he probably was, but Paul wants people to walk away in awe of Jesus Christ just like John said, may he increase and I decrease. That is the testimony of Paul's ministry. He didn't go into Corinth trying to impress them with his turn of phrase or his incredible debating skills, because then they would walk away thinking highly of him instead of marveling at the glory of God and the gospel. So back in our text here in Galatians, it's no different. He wants them to see the glory of gospel, the glory of the gospel, as he fades into the background. As one commentator puts it. Let it be carefully observed that every other kind of glory is rejected by him as nothing short of a capital offense. Guys, this is so, so serious to Paul. Uh, this is not some, some trite thing that people might think highly of him instead of focusing on Christ, or that he might seek to steal glory from Christ. Uh, so, so let's press pause for a second. Let me ask you, uh, is this the testimony of your heart? Is this the testimony of your life? Is this your perspective? Are you doggedly determined to abandon all attempts at glorifying yourself and to put all the focus on Christ? I, I fear that often we're, we're much more like the Judaizers, uh, seeking in subtle ways to, to boast and to receive our glory just all dressed up in Christian language. Uh, friends, don't, don't give that temptation an inch. In your heart, don't let it don't let it get a foothold in. Don't don't give it don't give it any room. Uh, we we tend to not take this seriously because we live in a culture that c- bombards us with the message that it's that we're the ones that matter, right? We're the center of our universe. It's all about me. It's all about my glory. It's all about being popular. It's all about being cool. It's all about receiving accolades. Uh, the the, the movies, the music, all of it. It's all about what I can get out of this world. And so often our hearts are filled with that message. Uh, The the fact is that this is is treason of the highest order against God when we magnify ourselves. Uh, We need to take this seriously because God takes this seriously. Paul goes on further to explain what he means when he refers to the cross. He says, the cross by which the world has been crucified to him and he to the world. So this this theme of of crucifixion, of our crucifixion, is is significant not just in the book of Galatians, but in Paul's theology. Uh, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 5.24, it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Romans 6.6, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And so we see this recurring theme, that when we put faith in Christ, we are crucified with him. The freedom that we have in Christ comes at the cost of our own life. Uh, And if we are unwilling to die, then we cannot be given life. If we are unwilling for that old man to be put to death, there can be no new man given life in Christ. Uh, Remember that because it will become very significant in the, the later part of our message. So Paul is saying here the world has been crucified to us and we have been crucified to the world. Um, and if that, that image is, is somewhat confusing, uh, think about it like this. Uh, imagine a, a tight embrace. And on one side is you, and on the other side is the world. Though so it's not enough for just one, one side to drop their arms. You know, I think of when I hug my kids, because I normally hug them a lot longer than they want to be hugged. You know, and so at the end, they're, they're just waiting for me to let go. Both sides have to stop, right? Both sides have to give up for this, this horrible, adulterous relationship with the world to be cut off. And so the world has been crucified in regards to me, and I have been crucified in regards to the world, so that I am I'm free now. I am free from being enslaved to affections for sin. And the world's ability to hold me and to grasp me has been utterly taken away and destroyed. Think of the, the finality of death. That's what Paul is describing here in our relationship with the world. God has killed the bond that once existed between us and sin. Do you guys get how wonderful that is? How amazing that is? It's, it's dead. It's gone. Freedom. Not temporary freedom. We're not on loan from the world. There is no debt that the world can come to call on. God has killed every last drop of our enslavement to the world in Christ. So all of these things, his the the compulsion the compulsive need to seek glory, the desire to seek salvation through works and through rituals. All these things don't matter to Paul anymore because the entire relationship between his heart and the world has been severed in Christ. That's what it means to have gospel-centered humility. Your life doesn't matter to you anymore uh, because all that matters to you is the gospel. Okay, so this humility means that I am submitted to Christ and the only thing, the only thought that consumes my mind is may he be glorified. I have humility driven by the very nature of the gospel because I know that I am a redeemed sinner with no right to his life anymore. I have no demands anymore. I have no right to happiness or to joy or to Fulfilling my own desires because I'm given all of those things and so much more in the gospel of Christ because he purchased me. And so I am free to be humble and to stop caring about getting my own way. I am not enslaved to wondering what people think of me because the only thing that matters is that people think highly of Christ and that when they see me, they see Christ. Okay, so the first truth in living a gospel-centered life, is having this gospel-centered humility. The second truth in remembering, uh, excuse me, in having a gospel-centered life is remembering your gospel-centered identity. So the the second truth in having a gospel-centered life is remembering your gospel-centered identity. Uh, Notice how verse 15 starts off with the word for, Okay, so Paul is, is now giving the reason and the explanation for why he will not boast in anything except the cross. He says, For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything, but rather a new creation. Okay, so, so circumcision and uncircumcision, they, they count for nothing. What counts for something is my, my new identity. My identity is a new creation in Christ. Okay, so that's the reason he won't boast in himself because he understands that he has nothing to boast about because there's nothing of significance to be found in the flesh. Hey guys, we forget this so much. There's nothing of significance to be found anywhere outside of Christ. Hey, we need to buy into that 100%. There is nothing of significance anywhere outside of Christ. So he contrasts this lack of significance in the flesh with the absolute significance of being a new creation in Christ. So the only reason he would have to boast is in the cross of Christ because the only thing that has true significance in his life is the fact that he is a new creation in Christ, that he has been redeemed. That's all that matters to him. And so that's the only thing he could think of to boast in. He's saying that circumcision or the lack of it have both been rendered completely irrelevant in the gospel. Okay, now I understand that the church today uh, is not having a big debate about the spiritual implications of circumcision, but the church today is having a huge debate about what the nature of the gospel is. It's a a divisive, huge issue. What is the gospel? What does the gospel mean to me? What does it mean that we should do? Everybody wants to take their cause, the things that they desire the most and say that that's an essential piece of the gospel, that this isn't just some side issue. This is is integral to the gospel itself. Believing the gospel certainly has implications for every area of life, Uh, for how we should behave in society and the things that we should care about. But those are applications of the gospel. They are not the gospel. If we make the gospel about anything other than what Paul says it is right here, we commit blasphemy. This is a really, really big deal to God that we get the gospel right. The gospel is not about the sins of the culture that we're in or the sins that we're most passionate about fighting. The gospel is not about abortion or racism or income disparity. The gospel has implications for all of those things, but the gospel itself is that God has made a way for sinners to be saved from hell. We can't forget that. We have no business muddying the waters of what it means to be saved from sin. The gospel itself is about how God has provided a way for sinners who deserve wrath to be forgiven and made right in his eyes. We cannot dilute that with anything else. In the gospel, we are made into a new creation and all of those other things are changed. The murderer is no longer a murderer. The adulterer is no longer an adulterer. Their narcissist stops being selfish. All of those things are taken away in the gospel. But the gospel itself is believing in Jesus Christ and what he has done to save sinners. It is vitally important that we understand the difference between the theology of what the gospel is and the implications of the gospel when applied to our life. Otherwise, we end up becoming just like the Judaizers in this scenario right here, creating a definition of righteousness based off of our own standard and based off of the things that we care about, and then adding that to the work of Christ as something necessary to be saved. So the circumcised Jews who are saved out of Judaism and the uncircumcised Gentiles who are saved from their pagan worship All of that is left behind in their new identity in Christ. That old man is dead. There's no carryover. We don't retain a little bit of our works, a little bit of our old man, and have a little bit of Christ. And in case you think that sounds extreme or radical, listen to what Paul says just a little bit earlier in chapter 5, verses 2 through 6. He says, Look, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith, working, in love. This gives us a look into the severity of this problem. To be identified with circumcision is to be alienated from Christ. To look at your works as adding value to you before God is to renounce the work of Christ. Paul is saying that you either abandon all hope of saving yourself and accept your glorious new identity in Christ, or you better be really good at keeping the law. If you are unwilling to put all of your hope, all of your faith, all of your trust in Christ, you better be so good at keeping that law because you know what? You need to keep the whole thing. You need to be perfect. There's no middle ground. It's not a little bit of this and a little bit of that. If you fail in one bit, there's no hope for you if you would seek some avenue other than Christ. Paul is saying that pursuing any form of man-made righteousness is the exact opposite of trusting in Christ. Beloved, he's saying that if you get this wrong, you go to hell. That's how serious it is to get this gospel right to define it the way God defines it, and to leave it alone. Because if you get this wrong, you go to hell. We don't play games with the gospel. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. If we change anything about it from how God has revealed it to us in Scripture, it is not the gospel anymore. If it is no longer, if it's anything, okay, anything else, even this plus something, If it's anything other than salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, it's not the gospel. And it doesn't save sinners from God's wrath anymore. It doesn't make new men. It doesn't change hearts. So if you want to have a life that is saturated in the gospel, remember your identity in Christ. Think much on the fact that you are a new creation in Christ. Because being a new creation is mutually exclusive to trusting in anything else or being identified with anything else. To be identified with circumcision, as we said, is to be alienated from Christ. We bring nothing to the table, friends. We come with empty hands and our accomplishments count for nothing. Do you really understand how much of a beggar you are before Christ? that you have absolutely nothing to offer Him. You add no value to Him whatsoever. And that's what makes the gospel so beautiful. It always makes our identity in Him, the richness of what we have been given in Christ, so beautiful because we have nothing to offer. And He knew that. There, There are no super Christians. We are all on an equal playing field before God worthless sinful beggars that he has saved for his own namesake so if you want your life to be gospel-centered you need to allow this truth to take over the way that you think you need to be fully convinced that the only thing that holds significance in your life is who you are in jesus christ if you allow other things to start becoming important if you allow there to be competition in your heart or in your mind about what really matters, the gospel, the glory of the gospel will be diminished in your life. Okay. Your life isn't about the gospel if it's about the gospel plus getting something else, plus getting what you want. Uh, notice notice the, the, the poison of the Judaizers. They, they weren't flat out rejecting the gospel. Theologically, they were. In their words... They weren't saying Jesus is not the way to the heaven, the way to heaven. They were saying Jesus plus this. Okay, it's it's a lot simpler when someone just says the Bible isn't true. The danger comes when someone says the Bible is true but but have you heard? But what about this? We need to be utterly convinced that there is nothing for us, no hope for us but in Christ and in what he offers, making us a new creation. Beloved, this is terrifying to me. How easy is it in our heart to start attaching appendages to the gospel, without even noticing it, to take the things that we care about most, that we're passionate about, and start thinking that that's part of the gospel, that that's necessary for Christian life. Abandon that. Kill that. Don't let there be any competition in your mind about what holds true significance. Remember your identity in Christ, that you have been crucified with him, and you have been raised with him as a new creation, and I promise you that your life will be gospel-centered. So if, if you're here this morning and you're, and you're not in Christ, this right here. This is all you need. There's nothing, I promise you, there's nothing that matters for you outside of this. And, and you might be sitting there thinking, you have, you have no idea. Who are you to say? You have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea about my finances or my marriage or, or the trouble that I'm facing. And you're saying that none of that really matters? No. What good is it for a man to, to gain the world and lose his soul, friend? Nothing matters if you do not have this. I, I can promise you, your, your biggest problem is not something you're dealing with out there. Your biggest problem it's, it's right here. It's the sin right here that separates you from God. If you are here this morning, if, you, if you're here this morning and you are in Christ, be encouraged. Think about who you are now, that that old, ugly, sinful person that you used to be that's dead, it is gone, and it's never coming back the finality of the death of the old man, that we have new life in Christ. The freedom that we have been given, freedom from wrath, freedom from slavery to sin and death, freedom from guilt, freedom from the slavery of caring what others think about you. Maybe you're here this morning and you you are in Christ, but somewhere in the midst of Riots and pandemics and political elections, the gospel has lost its beautiful simplicity. It's become complicated, it's become convoluted, it's become vague. Here you can be reminded and refreshed in the simple clarity of what the gospel is. It is nothing more or less than God saving us from sin and making us a new creation in Christ. Or maybe, maybe you're sitting here and the gospel has not lost its clarity. It's just lost its beauty. What was once brilliant and glorious and bright is now faded and dull and tarnished. That the cares and burdens of the world have made you lose your, your joy in this, that you've become used to it. The gospel that used to make your heart race and used to bring tears to your eyes has now become boring. This text calls us to reprioritize because this is the only thing that Paul cared about. How easy is it it for us to become accustomed to truth, to become bored with it, to long for something new? Think about how how much Paul knew as an apostle, everything that had been revealed to him. He was not bored with the simplicity of the gospel. May we all leave from here living lives that truly are gospel-centered, humbly submitting to the gospel and glorying in our identity in christ as a new creation let's pray christ jesus your gospel truly is marvelous it truly is wonderful it goes beyond our ability to understand and in our flesh we are so so inadequate to truly live lives that are gospel-centered. Lord, make us humbly dependent. Kill our self-righteousness. Kill any desire or temptation that we would have to add value to you. Lord, forgive us for the arrogance of thinking there's something special in us apart from Christ. Allow us to go from here humbly, completely focused on what you have done to save us in Christ that you have given us new hearts that long to please you and to keep your word. Lord, kill any desire in our flesh to be thought of well by the world. May we care about one thing and one thing only, Or that you would be glorified by sinners being saved. In Christ's name, amen.